Good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. We are glad to have you with us. Uh, I've already met a few visitors this morning, but especially if you would consider yourself a visitor, we want to let you know how glad we are that you're worshiping with us. We have for our visitors outside that uh, set of windows right there, a table, and it's got some stuff on it for visitors. It's for you, and if there's any of that stuff that you would want to take, that's what it's there for. And also for our visitors, there's some pieces of paper behind uh, some of the chairs. On one side is a prayer request side that anybody could fill out and drop in the offering plate uh, when it comes by. But the other side is specifically for our visitors to just fill out, let us know who you are, so that we can send you a card or letter just saying thanks for worshiping with us and just give us a record of your attendance with us. If you're sitting near the aisle, there is those black friendship pads. If you would just pick it up, sign your name. You don't have to do anything else besides name. Send it on down the aisle. When it gets to the end of your row, it'll come back, and then everybody in your row will know who's worshiping with them, and you might actually be able to introduce yourself by name and stuff. Pat, this is Mary. Mary, this is Pat. Okay? We have uh, next week something really exciting going on. Caleb Lucian, my friend from seminary, uh, who is our... Uh, cohort in crime down in Haiti that we met. He is coming and he is preaching. We got to meet him and we said we have to introduce this guy to our congregation. He runs Hosein International Ministries. Um, if you know Jerry Trachek, uh, he's like Jerry Trachek, but he's a lot smaller and he's a lot darker than Jerry, but just a real outgoing, uh, visionary, exciting guy, and uh, he's going to be uh, preaching and giving you some ideas of what's going on down in Haiti next week, so you will not want to miss that. Uh, last week we talked about the Walk for Life. It is a walk on the 16th of April that we're hoping you consider. It, it supports the Women's Pregnancy Center and the Esther House that we support up in Peoria, helping ladies. And if you see uh, that the walk is in four places, one of them's Pekin. And we're walking around the lagoon about three times, and you're just raising money to basically help people who are in need of help in a crisis pregnancy or a lady who needs a new start in life. And uh, if you're interested, the brochures are out on both sides in the foyer. We'd love you to be walking with us. Out at Sign Up Central on this side, there's a few different things, but there's two of them that are going away as of the end of the day. And both of them are for seniors and for uh, women as well. One of them is the seniors' luncheon that's tomorrow at noon. Make sure you sign up for that if you're a senior. And the other one is the uh, Rock Island Happy Days uh, trip. And if you're interested in that, you've got to sign up by today. Today is the last day to do that. And for our last announcement, I'd like Charlie to come up and uh, give that one to you. I'm going to ask you a serious question, and I want to see a show of hands. How many of you have ever driven a vehicle of some kind? Okay, great. Most people in here have driven a vehicle. All right. Uh, the other day, I got to a destination, and when I got there, I realized I had no idea, you know, the stop signs I went through, the stoplights, the turn signals, or any of that stuff. Have you ever done that? You get there and you go, wow, I don't even remember driving here. All right. In learning process, as we study how adults learn, we call that being unconsciously competent, all right? You have gotten so good at driving a car that you don't even think about it anymore, right? And, and we do that in a lot of areas in our life. Can you remember the very first time that you were put behind the wheel of a car? It was kind of scary. 
In fact, when I went to take my driver's ed test, I had to think, okay, turn the turn signal on 100 feet before the sign, start braking, ease it down, shift the clutch, you know, put the clutch in, shift it, all this type of stuff. I had to think consciously about what I was doing, and then I did it. And so it was a lot more difficult back then than it is now. All that to say, the last seven weeks, we've taken you through a process that has caused a lot of you to go, wow. Uh, I'm not comfortable with this. This is very tough. This is hard stuff. We've been doing living by the book, and we're trying to teach you how to study the Bible. Just like driver Zed, that first time going through this, this is hard stuff. This is uncomfortable. But the more you do it, the more practice you get at it, the better and better and better you're going to get at it. Okay? So I've tried to encourage my classes, hang in there, because what's going to happen in the next four weeks, starting next Sunday night, is Pastor Mark, myself, Brian McIntyre, is going to um, take you the next step in that process. This is how we sit down and we start doing Bible study. And we'll show you his style, we'll show you my style, we'll show you Brian's style, again, to help give you some idea that this is the process that we go through. If you do it often enough, pretty soon you become unconsciously competent. You start doing your Bible study and you don't even think about it. You're applying these tools and these processes in doing that. So that's what we've been doing. Uh, we want to introduce uh, some adult growth series over the next uh, several weeks on Sunday nights, we need sign-ups because we need to prepare handouts. We need to prepare all the material for that. Uh, I'd like to even, every once in a while, have some cookies and donuts and coffee available. So I need to know how many people are coming. So we definitely need to have you sign up, all right? And as this goes on, um, if it goes well, we're going to offer all sorts of genres like evangelism or um, prophecy or different things that you can look at and start applying these tools and processes in how to study the Bible. So that starts uh, next Sunday night, and it is a four-week series to start with, and after that four-week series is done... We'll move on to another series and something different, but we want to get started kind of as a follow-up. It's uh, Sunday nights from 6 to 7.30 are called Growing is Good. And uh, again, the first four weeks are up at Sign Up Central right now for you to sign up for if you're interested in that follow-up of how to study the Bible. A few people we need to be praying for. If you know Sue Paul, she had some uh, pretty significant surgery this past week. If you remember her and her family in your prayers, I know that she would really appreciate that. Uh, Vicki Little uh, fell on the golf course uh, walking her dog, and uh, we're not sure how it happened, but uh, she has a broken ankle because of it. And if you would pray for Vicki and for Sam and their family, she would really appreciate that. It's not a bad break, but it's enough to get in the way, and she can't drive right now and stuff like that. Uh, my daughter Laura is literally on a plane right now, uh, probably landing in Korea in a few hours. If you would remember her and her team that are going to minister there, uh, the Fridays would really appreciate that. And as our... Uh, prayer team this morning, we probably spent half of our time uh, just praying for the folks in Africa, I mean in uh, Japan. Um, we have missionaries in Japan. One of them is the Hills. Uh, the, we, I have some personal missionary friends that are over there, the Ellisons, and I just think anytime there is a catastrophe, anytime, whether it's in a person's life, a family's life, a nation's life, people are often more open to 
options and solutions and God and all that. So uh, we can't change what has happened, but we will certainly pray for these people and that God would really use the believers in Japan and the missionaries to really just use uh, this to help people and to bring them uh, to a knowledge of Christ as well. Two praises, if you know Peg Hurt, she had an angiogram this week looking at her back and the surgeries she's had, and they're looking for, are there any more of these fistulas? And the answer was no, and she was really just praising God that uh, her back's okay and she won't have to have any more surgeries, at least for now. And so, uh, real praise from Peg Hurt. And I think that is it. Well, we came here to do something very specific today. We came here to pay attention to God, and we're going to do that first by singing to Him and uh, praising His name. We're going to then head for those of us who are members and regular attenders in a worship of giving, and then we're going to spend some time looking into His Word and, and just paying attention to how important the Word of God is. So would you stand with me as our worship team comes and starts to lead us in this process of worship and intentional paying attention to God for the next hour. Uh, we just really need that for us, and we really want to have Him glorified as well in that process. So let's pray. Father, thank You that we have the privilege today of coming, and that by the gift You have given of Your Son, we can boldly approach the throne room of grace, even though we know we're a bunch of sinners and You are a holy God. And we thank You for that access we just pray, Father, that you would be encouraged by our worship and our understanding, God, of how great you are. And that, Lord, we'd be encouraged when we think through that, that maybe the stuff we came in with today that we hopefully laid at the door will seem a lot smaller when we remember what a great God that you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Michael said, we are at the end of our seven weeks of walking in the Word. If you were in a Sunday school class or a small group, you're uh, heading towards the end of uh, that series, Living by the Book. And we have covered a lot of ground. Uh, we've talked about how important the Word of God is and how foundational it is and just whatever we believe, uh, whatever we think God wants us to do and live, it centers in the Word of God. We've talked about how we got God's Word from His heart in heaven down to 2,000, 4,000 years ago on paper in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And then we talked about how did it get from there to our bookshelves in English and the process that the Holy Spirit used in getting it written down and getting it preserved talked about uh, the 66 books. How did they get there? And how are they arranged in different kinds of genres of literature as God put together the Scriptures? And then last week we talked about how do we study it and what helps are available so that we don't have to do it alone. You and the Bible and the Holy Spirit are enough to be able to read and study the Word of God, but there are certainly a lot of helps these days that the average person has available to them, at least in English, so that you don't have to do this on your own and you can get some help along the way when you need it. But there's one last question that I want to ask and answer today. It's not the technical side of the Bible, of you know whether it's true and whether it's 
errorless and is it really the Word of God and that type of stuff. We've already talked about that. I want to talk today about the question of is God's Word enough? Is it enough for us? Does, does this book really contain all we need so that we can live the life that God wants us to live, that we can understand who He is and have a relationship with Him and come to the point of saying, I, I know how to live a God-honoring life. You know, it's an old book. It doesn't say anything about the Internet in it, does it? It doesn't say anything about mutual funds or how green we should be. It's certainly a book that uh, my kids don't turn to when they want to know calculus. They come and talk to me, and I certainly don't go to the Bible to explain calculus to them. And it's not a book that would comfort me just to know that there was some guy working on my heart. Yeah, I'm a good believer, and I know God's Word. No, I want you to have been to med school. And I really would have liked you to be specializing in heart surgery for a long time, and I'm like, not your first person. And it's not held in the Word of God what heart surgery looks like, or your car. I mean, how'd you like to go to a mechanic that says, man, I know the book of Psalms backwards and forwards. No, do you understand how pistons work, and is, do you know what a car, do they have carburetors anymore? Is that in cars these days? Yeah, the old ones at least. I want somebody who knows about that as well, not just the Word of God. So the question is, is God's Word enough? And this question really started about 500 years ago in what was called the time of the Reformation. Some of you know a guy named Martin Luther, and he pounded on the Wittenberg door in Germany a whole bunch of questions and comments about the church and the Bible and all that, and it spawned a revolution that kind of separated Western Christendom from just Roman Catholic to Roman Catholic and Protestant. Those of us who are in the you know, Lutheran and Baptist and Presbyterian and Methodist side of things, we're Protestants. And you know what the, the central issue involved became? Is God's Word enough? Because the Roman Catholic Church said it wasn't. That you needed them, and specifically the Pope and, and, and his people that are the leaders of the church, to explain it to you and you couldn't know it without them. In fact, when I went to St. Cloud 20 years ago, St. Cloud is the most Catholic-dominated county in the United States per capita. And so I said, you know, if I'm going to have a bunch of these Catholics around me, I, I, I'm going to go talk to a priest. I mean, this is what they told me in seminary, but what if they're like biased or something? So I took a priest out for lunch, Father Nick. And I asked him a lot of questions. He asked me a lot of questions. It's a really good conversation. But I said, you know, Nick, excuse me, Father, um, <laughs> one of the things that they said was at the heart of this controversy of why you're, you're the way you are and we're the way you are, is this book and its authority. That we believe that we only have one authority in, the, in our world, and that is the Word of God, and that you, on the Catholic side, would believe there's two authorities, the Word of God and the church. And he said, you're exactly right. And then he looked at me and he said something that I will never forget. This is a young priest, by the way. This wasn't some old guy. 
He said, and I don't see how in the world you believe that your people can understand that without you. Well, like there's the Holy Spirit, that would help. I don't want to get flippant about it, but they, he actually believed, you know, I, I studied Greek and a little bit of Hebrew, and of course, you know, I have all the th- theological context of how this all fits together, and I have at least a chance of understanding the Word of God, but that the lay people don't. And I said, that's just not how we look at it. And in fact, the reason we're teaching this series is hopefully by the end of this series, you will have gotten a view that just with a few little tools and helpful things, you can not only just read the Bible, you can actually understand most of it. I don't understand all of it, but you can understand most of it and study it for yourself. And that we would never want the pastor or the Sunday school teacher to be the one that's telling you what the Word of God says alone in your life. We'd want you to be able to oar and mine this thing for yourselves. But that sola scriptura from the Reformation is how this got started. And down through the ages, in the Protestant side of things, the question looks different in different places, but it it rises itself. Is the Word of God enough? Well, in my opinion, the question is not answered easily with a yes or no. It's really answered by saying, what do you mean by enough? That's the real answer to the question. The, the, the flippant answer is, of course it's enough. But it's really explaining what do you mean when you say it's enough. And a guy named Wayne Gruden, who wrote a systematic theology, said it this way, and I like the way he says it. The sufficiency of Scripture, or is Scripture enough, means that Scripture contains all the words of God that we need for salvation for trusting God perfectly, and for obeying Him perfectly. That if you are a person who's trying to follow God, notice what it says. The Word of God has all you need to know who He is, to know how to have a relationship with Him, and to know what He wants from you on a daily basis. Now, it obviously doesn't have all the details of every decision and every question that you have, but for people of all times and all places, the Word of God is enough for that. Notice what it doesn't say, though. It doesn't say that we'll be able to understand it all the time in every detail. It doesn't say that God's Word can help you pass your geometry final or fix a broken water heater or... Change a bad gallbladder out. It doesn't say that the Word of God can tell you which bank when you move into town to go to necessarily, or which person specifically to marry, or what college specifically to go to, or a lot of other detailed questions of life. It doesn't even talk about whether broccoli is going to kill you or help you to live a long life. That's one that still just bothers me. I'm... I can't figure it out. They keep going back and forth. You know. So when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, we're just saying, is the Bible enough for any person at any time and any place to be able to know God and, and to be able to relate to Him and to be able to honor Him in their life? Well, we say it is, and where do we get that from? Well, we get that from a whole bunch of places in God's Word. We've gone through a few of them already. I'm just going to snap through them real quick. 
First of all, 2 Timothy 3, we've been there before. Timothy's writing, excuse me, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, and now from your infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And all Scripture, Timothy, is, is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Timothy, it really has all you need to be the God-honoring follower of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.12, writer of Hebrews says, the Word of God is active and living. It's not some static thing on the page that doesn't speak anymore. It speaks to us. The writer of the Holy Spirit and a Holy Spirit that lives within us. There's communication and we get the light. Oh, oh my word, I didn't see that before. And it's living and it's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. God's Word can help you see where you're going wrong even when you don't want to see it. And can hold a mirror up in front of you that says, hey, look at this. This isn't what God wants. And it can separate the right from the wrong as you're trying to follow God. Jesus says, Matthew 4, four. it's written, man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yeah, physically you've got to take care of yourself, but spiritually you've got to take care of yourself too with God's Word. John 17.17, 17, as He's praying for us, literally down through the ages, God, here's my prayer for all the disciples of all time. Sanctify them. Sanctify means make them holy. Make them look like me. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. And by understanding and studying and, and, and coming into a relationship with God's word, we're going to know more about what it means to be holy and to be like Jesus in our lives. But there's one other passage in the Bible that I'd like you to turn to that has probably the most, excuse me, this isn't it, I forgot about Joshua. Sorry about that. Joshua 1.8. Joshua says, don't let the book of the law, that's the Bible that they had back then, don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written. And then it'll make you prosperous and successful. You want to know how to be prosperous and successful in God's eyes? It's got it. Even the Old Testament has got it. The principles are there. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 19. If you didn't bring a Bible along and you want to grab one from the chair in front of you or over one, we're going to be on page 541. Psalm 19. Some of you might think, well, wait a minute, what about Psalm 119? Well, that's 100 psalms later, and that's the longest psalm, and it talks about the Word of God all over the place, but Psalm 19 is about God's revelation. And he starts out in verse 1 and 2 with kind of that real famous beginning of Psalm 19 that talks about general revelation. How has God revealed Himself in the world? It says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the works of His hands. And talks about general revelation and how any good farm boy or farm girl could look at what's around him and go, yeah, there's a God. Yeah, He made us and this didn't just happen. But then in verse 7, He gets real specific about the Word of God that has come and been written down. 
and look at the different, remember this is, a, this is a song, this is not didactic literature where it's teaching in like Paul does or a history book, it's a song. And so it's, it's poetry. And look at all the things that he calls God's word starting in verse 7. The law of God, the law of the Lord, the statues of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the ordinances of of the Lord, all kind of coming together and say, when, when, when you think about the Word of God and the Torah as it was called back then, the laws God has given you to live by, think of all these things as His statutes and His principles and His precepts and His laws. And He goes on in all these verses to say what they're like. Verse 7 they're perfect. God's Word is trustworthy. Verse 8 God's Word is right. It's radiant. God's Word is pure and enduring forever. God's Word is sure and altogether righteous, was verse 9. Verse 10, it's more precious than gold. And it's even sweeter than honey. I think they did put a Snickers bar there, but honey, I guess, works. But most importantly... Look at what he says, how David thinks through in this song, not just was what it's called and not just what it's like, but what will it do for you? Is it really enough for, for you as a God follower in this life? Verse 7, God's Word revives the soul. When you are losing heart, reading it can remind you of what who God is and all He has promised you and can revive you and get you back on a good footing in the midst of the crud. It makes the wise simple. God's Word can help the simplest person become wise. In our culture, we tend to think that the more degrees you have behind your name, the wiser you are. Well, maybe in your little field... You have more knowledge, but it almost seems in these days that there's this flip thing that the more degrees you have, the more you rely on yourself and your own abilities and the less you rely on God and His wisdom. Not everybody, but it seems that that's the way it goes often. Verse 8, it gives joy to the heart. When you trust God, there's this gladness, this inner peace that comes over you that uh, even though I don't know what's going on in all the wars and the Middle East and the tsunamis, I've had more people ask me in the last few weeks, do you think this, the end of the world's coming, Pastor Mark? I don't know. But it sure fits with what the Bible says is going to happen, I'll tell you that. And it might be 10,000 more years, but man, if we're not in the last days, I don't know when they are. But it gives a gladness, a joy that in no matter what days you're living in, being on God's side is the winning side, and being on God's side means that here's what He's promised and here's what He will do for you, and it's going to be okay. And then that famous, it gives light to your eyes. Psalm 119 talks about the Word of God as a lamp unto your feet. And as you're trying to figure out which way to go in life, God's Word literally illuminates the way and gives you an understanding of which way is right and which way is wrong. But then look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, 
that your servant is warned by God's word. You know, the beacon, don't go there! I don't care what your friends are doing, don't go down that path! And the God's word has warning signs all through it about what ways not to take. And it says, God's word will reap a great reward for those that follow it. In keeping God's word, there is great reward. You will not reap the consequences of going down the roads those people went despite the warnings, and you will have a a joy in your life because you don't have to face what those people are going to have to face. All over the Bible, God's word says that God's word is enough. Not, Not to be able to fix your truck, Not to be able to know exactly what college to go to, but to be able to know God and to have a relationship with Him and to live the kind of life that He wants you to live. In a practical way, it means that God's Word has all the information about God and His work in this world, including how to have a relationship with Him, that we need to know. God's Word has enough information for you to know whether you are going to go to heaven or hell specifically. You don't have to wonder about that. That you can know which way you're going when you die. It has enough information to help us think through the complex problems of our heart. You know, your heart and my heart are really deceitful, the Bible says. And we start thinking certain ways because of us. God's Word has enough to help us think through those things. It defines what is right and wrong in areas that God says is important for all time. doesn't matter whether you live over in the Middle East or here in South America or 100 years ago or in 500 years. There's principles that God has for everybody. And last, there is nothing that is of equal value. Remember, a lot of you have that word holy on your Bible. That word means distinct, set-apart of a different kind. And it's kind of like if if we really wanted to treat God's Word the way it should be treated on your bookshelf at home, it should be the alone on one shelf and everything else is on other shelves. We have a lot of other books that help us learn stuff. But that this one is, this is the only one that we got that we can always count on and that's always right. And we have to be very, very careful about adding to this or subtracting from it. Go read the book of Revelation sometime and see what the angel says about adding to this book. Not good. And I think at this point, most of you in here would go, I'm with you. Yeah, that's all true. You know, God's Word is enough for me to be the good Christian God wants me to be. And yeah, there's some stuff it doesn't have, but... You know, I, I don't need that, and there's other things that can help me with my calculus and what bank to pick and stuff like that. But there are some issues that are pretty significant amongst people who even believe in Jesus very much as their Savior and believe in God's Word that it's true and right that gets a little stickier. And I just wanted to talk about them for a minute so that you can kind of think through with God how enough really is this book. We obviously know it never goes out of style. It's, you know, just because it was written to a bunch of people who took care of goats 
in fields doesn't really make it so that the guy or woman at cat or the legislator in the house or something can't get the same principles out. We may have to pull them out in detail and, and specificity more than they did, but the principles are, are boundless and ageless. What about, does God speak in any other way than through this book? Does God speak to you? What about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, we said earlier that the Holy Spirit had a role in getting the Word of God, the Scriptures, down on page. And He lives in the hearts of those who have trusted Christ. And so there's this Holy Spirit connection here that helps explain it to us. Jesus makes it clear in the last time that He's talking with the disciples, the upper room discourse in John 14-17, to that when I go away, God's not leaving you as an orphan. He's going to leave you somebody. And his name is the Counselor. The one, paraclete means the one who comes alongside you. A guide. And so the Holy Spirit is a guide and a counselor in our lives. I remember last week, a couple of weeks ago, one of the teachers that helps teach in our fourth through sixth grade book uh, group said you know the holy spirit's kind of like a gps in your life you know i set my gps for where i'm going turn left at the next street i don't want to turn left at the next street i want to go straight and so what does she say recalculating and then i turn her off but god's word is a little bit like i mean the holy spirit's a little bit like that gps just helping you know which way to go and using the Word of God and showing you. And you don't have to listen. You can go whatever way you want. But the Holy Spirit speaks in a still, quiet voice and helps you know. But I want you to understand that though I absolutely believe the Holy Spirit is speaking today, that there is a huge difference between knowing for absolute sure what God has said to you, and thinking you know what God is saying to you. Your heart and my heart are deceitful and wicked, the Bible says. And because of our hurts in life, because of how we're kind of wired and the things that have happened to us, it could be that instead of it being the Holy Spirit speaking to you, it's you speaking to you. I had a woman tell my boss at my past church that God had spoken to her and that he, she was supposed to divorce her husband and he has provided a lifesaver of this new wonderful man in her life. And he looked at her in the most gracious way he could and he says, I don't know who was speaking to you, but that was not God. There is a church planter in recent days, not around here, I was just reading this this week, who basically said, the Lord's told me that in my new church plant, we're just going to read the red letters in the New Testament. That's all we're going to focus on. Just the words of Jesus. God has just told me straight out, just use the word of Jesus in your Bible. Just get rid of the rest. 
Also, we don't need the prophets. We don't need Paul. We don't need anything else except the words of Jesus. And God told him that. I don't think so. I don't know who told him that, but it wasn't God. God has spoken to me, though. Not in audible voices. I remember one time I was driving around when one of the kids were little in St. Cloud. And I had about a half an hour before I had to pick Jenny up at the library, I think it was. And I just said, Lord, you know, I think it was Laura, I wasn't, I'm not sure who it was, but Lord, somebody could be encouraged today by, you know, I got about a half an hour to stop and buy, and I'm thinking, you know, some older widow lady or something like that. Who do you want me to stop and see? And God said, Pastor Chuck, who had just been fired from our church. It wasn't me that fired him, but it was a little bit tenuous, you know. Um, no, I meant an older lady, God. I started talking. Then why did you ask me if you didn't want to know? Okay. So I went to their house. We had a great time encouraging him and stuff. I didn't hear a voice, but I was very sure that God directed me to do that. Recently I was in a meeting and I said something and later on in the day, God just starts saying to me, you know, are you sure you don't need to go and apologize to that person that you said that thing to? Why would I need to apologize? I don't know. I just thought you might. I just kind of blew it off. Later on, same thing. You know, I, I think you should apologize to this person. Well, if that was me, I wouldn't need an apology. I mean, I didn't mean anything by it. You know me, God. You know, I didn't. I just thought you might want to apologize. And third time, finally, I said, okay. And I went and apologized, and the person looked at me and said, I'm really glad you did that. You really hurt my feelings. Mr. Sensitive here didn't realize that. But God knew that. And God knew that to keep that relationship as solid as it would be, I should go apologize about it. I'm not saying God doesn't speak. God certainly in these days has another method besides just the written Word of God that He speaks to us in a still, quiet voice. But that voice will never, ever contradict what God's Word says. And it will be something that is just helping you in a specific situation to know direction and, and you will know when you hear God's Word, hopefully. Sometimes I hear it loudly, sometimes I don't hear it so loudly. And I'm not saying that God doesn't speak, but we have to be very careful of saying, God told me so. Because sometimes when people say that, I wonder whether it was God or someone else that told them so. And the last issue <clears throat> that has come up in good Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches in these last days that I've been around Christendom is the issue of, yes, God's Word is enough, but isn't there, isn't there information we also need for some things that's outside of God's Word? Like, like helping people who are going through terrible problems. Like psychology. There are people who love the Lord and His Word. They would absolutely say, you know, there isn't a problem known to man that God's Word can't get you through. Then there are other people who would say, no, just 
Just like God's Word doesn't have anything about fixing motorcycles, there is information about the way people are wired and how to help them and, and some bags of tricks that psychologists have learned along the way that come alongside God's Word and help the person who would be trying to counsel them and come alongside them. My answer is as long as it doesn't go against God's Word and as long as it's consistent with the principles, hey, if you've got some ideas that would work in somebody that would help, it's good for me. And there was a conference I've been to. Some of you have been to that conference. And the church who holds the conference a few years ago it's a leadership conference, and it's got people who come and give church pastors and leaders ideas about how to lead churches and how to maybe structure their church and stuff like that. And they started bringing in unbelievers to teach at this thing. Not a lot, but a few. And there were some people who love the Lord and love God's Word who were thrilled with that, that we would get some other views of you know how do you motivate people and how do you organize people and stuff that isn't necessarily in God's Word. And there's other people who love the Lord and God's Word that walked out and said, why do we have unbelievers telling us this stuff? Isn't God's Word enough? Again, I go back to as long as it's added information that isn't contradicting anything here and is, is supportive of the principles here, if you've got some ideas, I'll sure listen. But we have to be careful that we're not supplanting God's Word with a whole bunch of other people's opinions, whether it's childbearing, child-rearing, excuse me, child-bearing too, I guess, finances, how to run a business, all of those different things. I like the way Piper put this. He says the sufficiency of Scripture means that we don't need any more special revelation. We don't need any more inspired words, inerrant words. In the Bible, God has given us, we have the perfect standard for judging all other knowledge bases, all other books, all other people's speeches, everything else that comes at us that would be new information or wisdom that the Bible has enough to help us judge whether those would be something good to add or, no, that's not what God would have us do. I just love the way that plays out in 2 Timothy 3.16. Many of you memorized this as a kid. But I just love to tell the kids, you know, the Word of God is God-breathed. And it's useful for doing what? For teaching. Head this direction. And for rebuking, hey, you're going the wrong way. You're not go- you went the wrong way. And for correcting, okay, no, come back and let's go this way. And for training in righteousness. Here's how we're going to walk this path together. And it says it's useful so that the person who is really sold out on God and focusing on the Word of God is equipped for every good work that God wants them to walk in the life that He's given them. Well, is God's Word enough? It is. Now, if you want to get rich, and that's your goal in life, I'm not saying that God's Word is enough to help you get rich. It certainly has principles on how to be a good manager of your money. 
And if your goal in life is to get better health, and you're really sick, I'm not saying God's Word is enough. There are doctors and medical stuff that would be able to help you, though God's Word certainly has some principles, doesn't it, of how to live a healthy lifestyle. And God's Word maybe isn't enough if you're really trying to choose exactly who to marry and where to go on a vacation and what day to retire and some of those specifics, though God's Word has principles that might help you. But, if you want to know the God of the universe, if you want to know for sure you're going to heaven, if you want to know the rights and the wrongs in this life, if you want to know how to honor God and how you make decisions and how to handle people who don't honor God and their crud comes your way, if you want to know how to react in a gracious way, if you want to be filled with joy, if you want to make Jesus look good, through your life, then I'm telling you, God's Word certainly is enough. Let's pray. Father God, thank You that when You brought Your Son back to heaven, You didn't leave us alone. And that we not only have Your Holy Spirit residing inside of us as believers, but you gave us your written, inspired, perfect word. And Father, I pray that the people of this family would really not only grow to believe that it's true and it's right, but they would grow to believe that it's enough as well. And that by reading it and studying it, we would be people who would be changed. And we would walk a lot more like Jesus walked and we'd believe all the things you want us to believe. And we could tell the difference between the stuff out there that's telling us other stuff that's right and what's wrong. And so Father, we just pray that as Michael said at the end of the singing, that I hope this seven weeks doesn't end today that each one of us has come to face where we stand with you and our ability to understand your word our desire to read it and study it and that you would just work with each one of us and especially to start with that issue god of that your word really is enough for us and we thank you and we pray that we would be people who don't just get more informed heads through this, but that we'd be people that literally are changed and walk and act and talk differently because your word has transformed us from the inside out. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Charlie mentioned that there is a sheet out there that is a, a sign up for the series the four weeks it starts next week the whole sunday night series is called growing is good and the first four weeks of it are just centering in on how do you study a book of the bible that's history how do you study a book of the bible that's poetry how do you and we're going to do it together we're just not going to tell you we're going to do it together and if you want some extra encouragement in that arena we would love for you to sign up and then later in the year, we'll be doing other things 
on other topics and coming back to the Word of God as well and in different ways. But I hope that you avail yourselves of that if you need a little extra help. And also, just to let you know, I, I can pick out, just because I know some of the people in the church really well, I, I, I can pick out men and women that I really know, they know how to do this really well. And as Charlie said, it's, it's something that's just kind of second nature to them now. And if you would just say, you know, I'd really love to sit down with one of those people sometime and just have them help me for a period of time, I bet they would, just in a personal way. And uh, if you ever need that, Pastor Charlie or I or Brad would love to set that up for you as well. Father, as we go, would you help us to not only be hearers of the Word, but doers also, and that we would be the kind of people that you want us to be as we go out into this world at our jobs, at our schools, in our neighborhoods, and that we could be Jesus with skin on to the people that you bring us around. Use us, God, this week to glorify you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.